Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's great to be back with you hosting the weekly show on all things royal right here on Mail Plus. I'm Jo Elvin and here's what we've got coming up on today's show for you. Princess Diana's brother is calling for an investigation into the BBC as some secrets from the past are dredged up 25 years on. The Queen's former press secretary, Dickie Arbiter, tells us how to get away with telling the royals they're telling fibs and the importance of answering phone calls at 5am. And elephants in the grounds of Highgrove, Rebecca English will be here to tell us more. Well, joining me for all of that is the Daily Mail's Saturday Diary editor, Richard Eden, and one of the paper's star feature writers, Guy Adams. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. But first... This week, news broke that Prince William contracted COVID-19 back in April, around the same time as his father, Prince Charles, with the next two heirs to the throne potentially out of action. Simultaneously, many people have raised questions about why it was kept secret and what this could have meant for the line of succession. Rebecca English, the royal editor of the Daily Mail, knows much more about this, and I'm glad to say she's here with us now. Good, Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Jay. Lovely to see you again. And you. Now tell us, Prince William had COVID. When was this? Why weren't we told? Just some of the questions. Exactly. Uh, There are a lot of questions about this. So it discovered this week that Prince William had COVID in early April, around the same time as his father, the Prince of Wales and the Prime Minister. Interestingly, all three men were together at a public engagement at the end of March. So you've got to wonder maybe who the super spreader is there. Um, What's so significant about this story is that it was kept secret at the time. And it's only emerged because Prince William told a member of the public at a public engagement. Now, uh, Kensington Palace say they kept this secret because we were in such a time of national crisis that they didn't want to worry anyone. Um, But it hasn't gone down universally very well. Um, Usually the public is told when senior members of the royal family have a serious health condition. It doesn't really get much more serious than that in this pandemic year. Why why do you think that they've held on to this information? Well, yes and no. I mean, the palace do maintain that like members of the public, members of the royal family are entitled to keep medical issues private. But obviously, if they are so sick, they're missing public engagements or they have to go into hospital. Yes, we are told about that. The reason why this has caused a bit of a stink is that um, the Queen at the time, our head of state, was 94. She's effectively shielding at Windsor. The next in line to the throne, the Prince of Wales, was also sick with the illness. Thankfully, very mildly, but he was still 71. And so there was a feeling that there could have been a real constitutional crisis and the public should have known that the second in line to the throne was also sick as well. One of the things interesting as well, we, we discussed on this programme a few weeks ago, William making lighthearted jokes about the illness. And it sort of like sheds new light on that, doesn't it? Does that just, I think we were talking about whether or not that was irresponsible and it slightly feels like perhaps yes. <laughs> Yeah, look, it was definitely unwise of him to crack a joke about it, although I feel like at the time a lot of us were actually living kind of blissful ignorance about how serious this virus was and how much it was going to affect our lives. But I think what people are pointing out now in in light of this, if 
if we had known at the time, it could have sent out a really powerful message about how serious we should have taken this virus back in back in March and April. Guy, were you surprised that it was announced that William had been sick with this? Yeah, I'm not going to go and give William a kicking for this, but I think he's That's been good to know. I think he's been a bit <laughs> foolish. And, and I say that not because of the constitutional things that Rebecca's mentioned not although those are of course important but really uh, just because of everything we know about coronavirus which is that if you get it i think you sort of have a duty uh, to tell as many people as possible about it and to almost to, to shout it from the rooftops because anyone who's had any contact with you or might have had contact with you needs to know well, uh, we're legally obliged to well, aren't we? Yeah. track and trace isn't you know it? and maybe yeah. I, I don't know that no one knows the circumstances William got it in and, and in fact we you know probably he doesn't know either I assume he has his reasons for doing that but no I think it's a mistake what do you make of him keeping it quiet Richard I, I sympathise really. I think in a, it sh in a way it shows William in a good light that he is um, stoical and he, he doesn't want to make a fuss basically. I think that it sounds like it wasn't serious enough that he had to go to hospital so he probably felt it's something I'm dealing with um, at home in isolation and so there's not a sort of public need to I know. I mean in fairness Richard I remember you being quite cross that uh, Meghan and Harry wouldn't even tell us who Archie's Grand godparents were. Mm. This seems like a much more grave public interest situation. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point, but I, th I think I was referring to the fact that it's tradition that you'd all, all, always name godparents at um, a christening ceremony. Um, but in the case of illness, it, it is a grey area. So it's an interesting question, but I, th I think I'm sort of give William the benefit of the doubt on this one, really, that he's just trying to sort of put a brave face on it and not make a fuss. But Coming back to Rebecca's point about the constitutional issue, it does kind of raise that hypothetical thing, doesn't it? If the second and third in line to the throne are felled, what, what happens? It, 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 do we have a Regency situation with George? What, he, here's a chance for Prince Harry. Come, come back from America, <laughs> all is forgiven. He's not it's, interested. <laughs> it's King Harry and Queen, yeah. Queen Meghan. Um, um, no, I think they're more interested in you know, American elections and stuff now. But, but, no, but seriously, what would happen? Well, it would be Prince George would be... Um, he, he would be in charge. Um, go, I'm, I'm fine with that. Go, go, what, what could go, possibly go wrong? How could it be worse? A good guided yeah. by some very wise individuals, you hope, until, Kate? He, until he came of age, and that has happened. It'd be like um, Game of Thrones. But remember that Prince Andrew... As long as he wasn't like Joffrey. Prince yeah. Andrew, for most of his life, was convinced that, you know, he would... Um, he would be king if anything happened. Um, There's so still hope. <laughs> exactly. Maybe there'd be a lot of people jostling yeah. for power. Let's all just imagine King Andrew for a second. There's a thought. Well, while William is laying low this week, his uncle, Earl Spencer, brother to Princess Diana, of course, has been making headlines himself. He's calling for an independent investigation into that Diana interview with Martin Bashir back in 1995, as he believes she was tricked into doing the interview. Rebecca, what is Charles Spencer calling for and why? Just give us a recap. Well, this has been a really agenda-setting exclusive for the Daily Mail this week. So there have long been concerns about subterfuge involved in this interview 25 years ago. But Charles Spencer has really blown the lid on it this week. He alleges that the journalist Martin Bashir... Um, faked documents which purported to say that senior courtiers were being paid by the security services to spy on his sister. And this was all done in an effort to persuade Diana to give him the scoop of the century. 
Now, Charles Spencer feels very strongly that this was covered up by the BBC at the time, and they still have serious questions to answer about their journalistic practices 25 years later. Why do you think it is, it's taken 25 years for this to become the story this week? Well, an investigation was, I mean, th these concerns started to emerge not long after the programme had aired, in fact, and the BBC did an internal inquiry that basically said Martin Bashir had made a mistake, he was incredibly contrite and had been told not to do it again. Now, that's something Charles Spencer wasn't happy at at the time. Now, 25 years on, there have been a number of documentaries about the interview and how it came about that have, that I suppose, have, has rattled his cage, and rightly so, and that he believes he wants to speak out to make sure the BBC... Um, carries out a proper, not just an internal investigation, but a proper in public inquiry into what happened. He thinks it's about really important, basic journalistic standards for our national broadcaster. Now, this has always been a real dark day moment for the palace. I think it still haunts them. Has there been any comment from them about this? Not, none whatsoever. I mean, I think they will if, if Charles Spencer... Um, manages to, to take this on in any way, shape or form, I think they will have to say something at the point. For the moment, they're saying nothing. That said, and, I, and I'm not equating this to the inquiry, I know that privately William acknowledged his mother was a very, very complex woman, but he also believes that she was a very vulnerable woman who was actually exploited by a number of people around her. And I'm sure that this is a concern that will spark his interest in anything that comes out of this investigation concerning the BBC and the Panorama interview. Guy, I mean, asking for an independent investigation 25 years after the fact, is it a bit over the top? Well, yes and no. I mean, I'm a newspaper journalist and I'm still living almost weekly with the legacy of the phone hacking scandal. That involves journalistic malpractice that uh, was bad. Uh, and um, this, of course, it's not all it's not just a, a scandal about a sort of single rogue reporter. Um, the the important thing to, 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 to bear in mind is, is the cover-up, which at the BBC went right to the top. Mm. So the head of news at the BBC at the time, the guy who presided over the investigation, was Tony Hall. Well, Tony Hall was Director General of our national broadcaster until, I mean, Very three recently. or four months ago. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think this, this is something that, that does need to be properly looked at now. And um, I don't think the BBC should be beyond reproach. Mm. I mean, do you think Charles Spencer is right to be angry? Very much so. I mean, I found it really disturbing, actually, when you read, um, you know, what Bashir was alleged um, to have done. I mean, you know, Princess Diana was very vulnerable at that point, And she did have fears about certain things. And he played on those fears ruthlessly. I mean, there's allegations that perhaps even a, um, you know, a bug was planted um, which they claim to have found in her apartment and, you know, that she's being betrayed by all these people. Revolting um, allegations. And, and that would explain why he won this amazing job of interviewing her. He was an unknown. You know, she was being asked by the biggest interviewers in Britain and around the world, you know, Oprah Winfrey and mm. David Frost here, people that were friends with her trying to get interviews. But no, he managed to do it. And it seems to be that's how he kind of wormed his way into it. And it's, it's very disturbing. And the BBC, when they've been so sanctimonious over, um, you know, allegations against red top newspapers, you know, that they really do need to be held to account on this, I think. My personal overriding memories from that interview, which I watched a lot, however, is that 
she seemed like a woman absolutely desperate to get her side of everything on yeah. the record. And I think in fairness, I think she was in a lot of ways a willing participant. Yeah, I mean, Martin Bashir is said by the BBC to be um, very unwell at the moment. So he hasn't been able to answer these allegations himself. But if he did, I'm sure he would say that Princess Diana was more than happy to um, give the interview and she wanted to, to get those points Which across. Which begs the question, why did he have to go around forging bank statements to get her to do it, if she was willing to do it anyway? Exactly. If we used even a fraction of those methods that Bashir did, we would be sacked instantly for gross misconduct. I mean, without... I mean, the, BBC did, he, the BBC actually sacked the graphic designer who faked the documents on, uh, uh, on Martin Bashir's instructions. They sacked him, his career was ruined, but, uh, but, but not their star reporter. And don't forget what his job is now. He's yeah. now their religion editor. Well, yeah, he's their religious mean, affairs. But I, yeah. I, I feel like we probably should mention that Charles Spencer does have a book coming out. So, <laughs> you know, it's more, not about more, this, more cynical fair. people than me may sort of comment that yeah, that has something it, to do with raising it now. But no, but it's a history book. It's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not to do with this interview. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, moving on. <laughs> Of course, Diana's interview with Martin Bashir wasn't the only time she spoke out against Prince Charles and the royal family. She also spoke to Andrew Morton for his biography of her. Former press spokesman Dickie Arbiter told us all about the time he confronted her on the topic while on a royal trip to Budapest. I was briefing the media as to what was going to be happening in those sort of 24 hours that she was there. And the only question that came out of them is, Andrew Morton's book, has Diana contributed to it? And I said, well, I don't know, I'll ask her. I said, ma'am, the media want to know about um, Andrew Morton's book. Have you been helping him? And she sort of gave me a, a, a look. If looks could kill, I should have slipped through the cracks in the floorboard. She said, no, I have not. That's a ridiculous question to answer. And I sort of looked at her and I thought, mm, you're being economical with the truth, but you don't tell a member of the royal family that they're lying. And then, lo and behold, a um, few, week, few weeks later, in June, uh, the serialization in the Sunday Times ran over two weekends. And I was living out at Windsor at the time, and I dashed through to Charing Cross on uh, Saturday night at 10 o'clock to pick up the first editions. She must have sent somebody out to do exactly the same, because at five o'clock in the morning, I had a phone call from her saying, what do I do? I said, well, man, it has been done. Uh, and there's nothing you can do. I suggest that uh, you don't answer the telephone, you don't go out, pour yourself a stiff drink, drink it, um, drink another one if you feel like it, but certainly don't do anything, don't be seen in public until eventually you have to be seen on Tuesday when you've got an engagement. Um, it was very difficult and she panicked and she realized that, uh, yeah, what she had done was wrong, but it's all too late. Back in the modern day now, and as England prepared to go back into lockdown, Prince Charles and Camilla have been squeezing in a final few engagements. Rebecca English is back with us now to tell us more. Rebecca, the royals are back working from home, much like the rest of us, but they squeezed in a very outdoor activity before jumping onto Zoom, I believe. Absolutely. So last week I was invited by the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall up to Highgrove, their country home. Yeah. They were launching a project by the Elephant family, which was a charity set up by Camilla's late brother, Mark Shan, to protect the endangered Asian element, elephants. And what it was before he died, Mark came up with the idea of creating a herd of life-size sculptures that could be paraded through the London Royal Parks to publicise their cause. Now, sadly, he died before they could bring that to fruition. Uh, but Camilla and Charles are now helping to realise that dream. 
and a herd of 25 life-size, anatomically correct model elephants have been brought over to the UK from India. They were due to go on display this summer, but unfortunately because of COVID, that couldn't happen. Um, it is going to go ahead next summer, but it means they need to find somewhere to put these elephants over the winter. So Camilla decided to uh, get stuck in. She's written to all her family and friends, begging them to take on an elephant or two uh, until April. And uh, four of those elephants are going to go on display at Highgrove, Charles's country home. And so that must be really meaningful to her to have that familial connection so close to home with her brother. She's really passionate about this. She adored Mark. I mean, she told me in an exclusive interview last week, you know, she she still misses the sound of his voice. And she told me last week, this is a real personal passion project for her and her sister, Annabelle Elliott, you know, to see his work through to fruition. Is it true that some of these elephants are now homed with some pretty famous people? They definitely are. And at the risk of being accused of shameful name dropping, um, after I'd finished at Highgrove with Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall last week, I jumped in my car and headed off to Julie Cooper's place, the author, for lunch. She's got two of the elephants in there and um, they looked remarkably at home in their kind of Cotswolds country setting. Um, other people that have got them are Lady Barthurst, the Rothschilds, Donna Eyre. You know, Camilla really, you know, twisted people's arms and said, come on, I need your help with this. And hopefully it will raise a lot of awareness and hopefully a lot of funds when these elephants are eventually sold off for the elephant family charity. I don't think I'd even fit the smallest one through my front door of my terraced house, unfortunately. Not only was Charles not originally expected to be visiting and, and making an appearance for this occasion, but I understand he made something of a fashion statement. This is very much Camilla's gig, but Charles was at Highgrove and he knows how much this means to her. So he decided to come along. But he was wearing a very eye-catching coat. Now, I've heard a lot about this coat over the years. It's, it's kind of got mythical status in royal circles. But even I've never actually seen it in 15 years. And it's a, a kind of full-length embroidered fringe coat that he was given on a official trip to Pakistan that he likes to wear when he's mooching about his estate. And he turned up with it. I couldn't quite believe my eyes. Um, yeah, it, It's quite eye-catching, but it's... It's also quite sweetly eccentric, and I just think it shows you how at home he feels at Highgrove that he could wear it, even with the likes of me and the, the Daily Mail photographer around. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rebecca, with um, that detailed elephant and jacket report. Well, I don't know about you, but I think Charles's coat is a perfect outfit for staying at home for the next month. That is all we have time for this week. My thanks to my guests, Rebecca English, Richard Eden, Guy Adams and Dickie Arbiter. And of course, thanks to you for watching. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And of course, you can come back next week and join me, Joe Elvin, for more Palace Confidential. Confidential.